Welcome to Meekum Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. It's the show geared toward keeping you up to speed with the latest auto news, event coverage, and expert industry insight. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Avery and John Craman. Hey, welcome everyone to another episode of On The Move. I'm Matt Avery, executive producer of The Transmission, and joining me is John Craman, lead TV commentator for Meekum Auctions. John, what's going on in your world this week? Hey, Matt, you know, uh, talking to you from my home, always a pleasure. Uh, we've got a little bit of downtime from our typical travels being out on the road, but lots going on in the automotive world, and uh, I think we've got a good show coming up today. Yeah, we do, John. And a lot of it deals with the topic of trucks. We've got Bob Galuska, brand manager for Stable, calling in to talk about a special 58 Chevy Apache that he and his team have put together. And then you and I are going to wrap up today's show talking about the popularity of trucks with new car shoppers. Before we get to all of that, you've got some uh, breaking TV news to share. Yeah, hot off the press, Matt, just learned yesterday that uh, next week, beginning Monday, May 11th, is going to be a Mecham theme week on our network, NBCSN. Lots of uh, great uh, auctions and also some of our Mecham Presents will be aired. And uh, this is in demand for folks that are out there saying, we can't wait for Mecham to get back. But until we get back to doing our live events, uh, we've got some really good content coming up and working with uh, Ben Christoffel, who's our liaison between the network and Mecham to make sure that uh, the airing and the coverage is some really great stuff. And I'm really excited to just kind of sit back and take it all in. And it, once again, that begins Monday, May 11th. John, there's probably a lot of listeners wondering what all goes into a live TV broadcast? How many hours a day are you guys doing it? How early do you start? When do you wrap? Can you give us a little bit of an inside look? Well, a lot of people think that the time that we have on air is just what we have actually on the show, which depending on the auction, uh, will average anywhere between maybe six to eight hours per day. But the reality is, is our pre-production meeting starts in the morning, typically 7 a.m., where we all get together with the entire production crew uh, to talk about um, the run of the show, anything that we've got coming up that we want to make sure that we highlight, uh, some of the timing in regards to some of the features that we do, and just go through some of the housekeeping. Uh, we Then after that, that takes about a half hour, 45 minutes, and we have a crew meal together. And we just hang out and sort of talk, and that helps us all to sort of relax a bit and to have a chance to chat real time talking about um, what we're looking forward to, what some of the tidbits that we're going to talk about. I will tell you that very little research uh, goes into any of our parts. The, the theme always is either you know it or you don't. We try to stay within our comfort level and our knowledge level boxes and try to make it fun and conversational. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's working, Matt, because this year, uh, 2020 is our 13th year on television. Man, it's just, it's gone buying a blur and no end in sight for the future by the way now john you're up there so many hours a day by the end of it are you tired are you exhausted or how are you feeling it's a really odd sort of combination of the two there is a sense of relief there's some um mental tiredness but there's also a exhilaration and a feeling of satisfaction knowing that not only did we collectively put on a good show where we stayed accurate and we stayed relevant with what was happening, but even more so that the auction 
went through with good success. We really are working hand in hand with the auction company to portray in a transparent fashion what's going out on the auction block, trying to get sound bites from Dana and Frank, the auctioneers, um, the uh, bidders assistants out working the crowd, blending and meshing all of that in. And I just have to give a shout out to the crew, the behind the scenes crew that you don't see. There's five of us on the announce team, but 35 other people that put these shows on. And it's it's a very complicated process with a lot of moving parts, including the meshing with the auction itself. But show after show, day after day, these guys continue to pull it off. We just get to sit back and talk cars. We've actually got the easy part and the fun part. <laughs> now, John, I, uh, I know you've been, you said you've been doing it now for 13 years. Is there ever a time when you see something come up on the block and your mind just goes blank or you have nothing to say? Or is that is that a rare occurrence? Well, occasionally, Matt, you, something will pop up onto the block that's a one of a kind or something that's a little bit off the beaten path. And we're not going to make up stuff on the fly, but generally speaking, we are dealing with a little bit of information from the consigner. Um, anybody that ever goes to Meekum.com and looks at all the vehicles that are out there on display, there's also a description of the vehicle as well. And we have access to that description of the car. So we can take that information that the consigner has provided for us and work that sort of into our commentary. Generally, we don't rely on that information. We really kind of go off of our own uh, recollection and our own memories of why this car was important, what it was all about, what some of the history is with it, because consigners typically don't provide that info. So yeah, it gets a little bit kind of, gets a little bit tough once in a while, but fortunately it doesn't happen very often. Well, John, you mentioned a great word, which is exhilarating, which uh, helps take us to our next topic, which is Cadillac's Blackwing high performance sedan that's in the works. You are super excited about it and uh, I want to know why. Well, first of all, I'll warn you, Matt, I'm a Cadillac guy. I've always, since I was a little kid, Cadillac has always fascinated me. This is growing up in the 50s and the 60s, coming of car age. And I identified at a very young age that there were four vehicles that I would want to have in my lifetime, four different specific cars, all of which obviously made a big impression on me. Uh, Corvette was number one. Mustang was number two. Uh, Pontiac GTO was number three. And Moving outside that box, Cadillac was number four. And about five or six years ago, I made that dream a reality when I purchased my first Cadillac. Uh, it's a daily driver. It's a 2015 Cadillac SRX, the SUV, um, which I still own. And I love it, by the way. So now I've got in my collection, I've got one of each and sometimes multiples of those four cars. So Cadillac has always been a part of what I really loved. And the big news that's been talked about over the past couple of weeks is this monster high performance CT5V called the Blackwing with 650 supercharged horsepower. That's the same engine used in the Z06 C7 and also the Z01 Camaro. But probably the biggest news of all matter this car, and it should be coming out here shortly, it's the only car in its class that is still available with a manual transmission. A Cadillac, high performance with a manual transmission when the rest of the competition has all gone automatic. 
Now, John, when we're talking about that competition, what other players are currently in that space? Well, you've got you've got a lot of European entries. You've got um, uh, high-performance AMG models from Mercedes-Benz and the R-Series cars from Audi that would compete with that as well. And even Alfa Romeo out there with their Julia, and they've got a 550-horsepower version of that car uh, as well. So all of these are sedans, high-performance sedans, in a world where the sedans are kind of fading a bit. But I think is what's happened, Matt, I'd like to get your input on it. As the world certainly is moving away from sedans, there is a pretty long gestation period. So my guess is Cadillac has been working on this high-performance CT5V for probably quite a few years, and it's going to be interesting to see exactly how well this car does in the sales department, and even more specifically, how many of them are actually sold with the manual transmission or the available automatic. What are your thoughts about this thing? I think it's wild. I, I think Cadillac turned the dial up to 10 on it. And I think it's interesting that they are offering it with that much horsepower and a manual transmission in a day and age where you're seeing very few manual transmissions and uh, very few sedans with manual transmissions. But I think Cadillac is noticing that even given those uh, factors, there still is a niche marketplace for vehicles, and, and that includes sedans that are in the upper echelon, you know, vehicles like this that have the performance, that have the luxury, and have uh, near six-figure price tags. Is that what this one's bringing? Base price, I think, is going to be around 85000 but with all the option packages, yeah, I'm going to guess that hundred grand is going to be kind of the median sort of price on one of these cars, and that's a, a, a really good question. Um, sure, there's going to be plenty of folks out there that are going to think it's cool, but is it going to be affordable for, for folks? Don't know. Interesting that uh, a Cadillac uh, really pushing the performance envelope and even going to a new degree. We talked about this car as the Blackwing. Blackwing is Cadillac's fairly new uh, new performance division. The V-Series cars in the past uh, have always indicated that this is a very special car from Cadillac, and that's not going away. Um, but now that's going to be sort of a mid-level performance car with the Blackwing now being the top of the series, maybe very much like a Black Edition Mercedes-Benz or something like that. So is the timing right for this car? Don't know. Is it maybe the last chance for Cadillac to sort of reinvent themselves and shift over to, uh, to a shrinking sedan market? Don't know, but certainly the hardware is impressive. And uh, I don't know if you or I, either one of us, will get a chance this year during any of the uh, debut of this car to the press. If we'll get a chance to get behind the wheel of one of these cars, I sure hope so. So I would love to drive one. And let's knock on wood and hope it's a winner for Cadillac. Mecham Auctions is proud to bring you On the Move with Matt Avery and John Craman. For more on the world of collector cars, head over to Mecham.com. Now let's get back to the show. Chances are, if you've been to a Mecham auction recently, you've seen a 1958 Chevrolet Apache pickup truck parked in Stables booth. The truck has a great story behind it, and to learn all about it, we've got Bob Galuska, brand manager for Stable, calling in. Bob, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, Bob, before we get to the truck, fill us in a little bit on your background. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've always been a huge enthusiast of the, the uh, aftermarket of cars. I mean, me and my grandfather spent time in the garage growing up together and just tinkering on things that he had and then over the years it became more of a hand-me-down to me taking over the family role of being the car guy and here we are I mean 
it just kind of ended up working out. I got out of college and got a position at Stable and worked my way up to now being the brand manager and everything's kind of just happened to fall in my lap and in a good way. So Bob, are you into trucks? Are you into high performance cars? What's in your garage, man? So I'm a, a little bit of both. So I have an 05 F250 6.0 liter power stroke diesel that has around 900 horsepower, upgraded injectors, turbos, studded, I mean the full nine yards. And then you get over to the performance cars. My latest one is a 15 GT anniversary edition. It's one of 26 in the package of competition orange. And then uh, the around 500 horsepower from the factory wasn't enough, so I ended up putting a P1X Pro Charger on it. So waiting on an E85 tune, but at that point it should be right around 900 horsepower. So definitely a lot of fun. Now, Bob, how many years have you been with Stable? Um, I've been there just about three years and have just recently been given the position of the brand manager of Stable. Now, Bob, for those who might be unaware, what is the product that Stable is most known for? So Stable is most known for our red fuel stabilizer, which is the storage product, which is the original formula from 1958. At that point, we were really just known for fuel stabilization and keeping the fuel fresh in either your power equipment that's sitting outside or a classic car you have in the garage. Since then, we've came out with other fuel additives like our 360 line, which is more for like the everyday driver or if you're just going to be storing the car for a few months over the winter. And then we've also expanded into carbon choke cleaners, starting fluids, rust stoppers, and into a couple other areas and kind of just made Sable more of a preventative maintenance brand. Well, Bob, I just have to say hats off to you and the stable group. Uh, Let me give you a little story about my personal experience this weekend with your product. Uh, It's kind of a ritual like a lot of us in the Midwest. I'm in Northern Illinois as well, where my summer daily drivers consist of my wife's 72 Corvette, my 2010 LS3 powered Corvette, my 14 Coyote powered Mustang GT. Late uh, November, early December, I put those cars away in the garage. I always use stable fuel, stable the storage product and usually about the first part of may is the time where i go in and reawaken everything everything sits on a a battery tender and just this last weekend alone all three of those cars went out to the garage turned the key they all started up instantly i drove each of the cars just around the neighborhood just to see that they were all okay and I just got to tell you, man, what peace of mind that gives me over the wintertime, knowing that the fuel's protected. I'm not going to have issues with either the fuel injection on the two newer cars or the quadrajet carburetor on the 72 Corvette. It means a lot. This is a product everybody should use. I've been using it for years and pass my thanks so much for a great product to all your staff. Well, we appreciate you using it. Now, Bob, with all of that as background, that brings us up to the topic of the Apache truck. And that came about because of a company anniversary in 2018 what were you guys celebrating so it was stable 60th anniversary our original formula came out in 1958 and we kind of just wanted to kick off the anniversary with something cool so in 2017 at the SEMA show we actually started talking with hot rod and said we wanted to build something to commemorate the anniversary and that's where the apache kind of stemmed from now after that SEMA show what'd you guys do next 
So we ended up looking, we, we kind of knew we wanted something that's not necessarily seen on the road every day, but we didn't want it to be too extravagant that you couldn't find parts for it and you couldn't have a good time and just go out and have a daily driver. So we kind of sat down, we threw, threw around a couple ideas. We didn't know if we wanted a car, we wanted a truck and this 58 Apache ended up popping up on Facebook marketplace and it was only 50 miles away from our office in Chicago and it was already red and gone through a basic restoration. So we just kind of felt like this was the one and we ended up going down checking it out and the guys at hot rod wrote a check and shipped it out to california to their garage and uh if i'm not mistaken the truck had a very distinct corvette theme right yeah so it had the 50s corvette theme it was the badging it had the white scallop on the front fender into the door and then it 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 unfortunately still had the manual steering the manual brakes the three speed that was kind of all over the place, a 283 V8, and really it was, it was miserable to drive more than a few blocks. The good news was the body was all original, rust-free, and it was originally a California truck, so the plans we had in store for it, the body and the frame were really the biggest parts we were worried about. So, Bob, what were some of the areas that you guys saw as needs for improvement? Specifically, fill us in on engine, transmission, rear end, suspension, and brakes. So, like I said, it was all manual before. What we really wanted was a daily driver. We wanted something you could get in, turn the key, go, and not have to worry about, is it going to start? Are we going to have issues? Is something going to break down? And really, we were were building it with Hot Rod as a power tour vehicle. So, they kind of went through and they removed that tired V8, three-speed, and all the steering and braking components, making room for a bunch of shiny new parts. So, they put in a GM Performance LS3 crate motor, a new Curry nine-inch rear end, all new classic performance parts, calipers all the way around, brakes, Mustang two front end, um, a whole new rack and, pier- rack and pinion steering system, uh, the Gearstar 4L70E transmission, all new wiring, Dakota digital gauges, full custom exhaust. I mean, they, they went the entire drive train interior and, and really just made it a full-on daily driver classic pickup truck. Well, I'd I got to compliment you guys. Maybe it was coincidence or intentional. The choice of the 58 obviously tied in with the 60 years of Stayville, but man, that body style always been a favorite of mine. First year for the quad headlights, the truck has just got the look. And what you guys have done, not only with upgrading the mechanical components of it to state-of-the-art components, but you've also done a really good job of keeping the cosmetics of the truck pretty vintage without going too far out of the box. Was that part of your overall our plan was to try to retain the vintage look as much as possible. Yeah, we wanted to keep it keep it classic. I mean, we wanted to keep that 58 style. The biggest thing was most people when they build these trucks, they want to do a step side. We seen the fleet side and said, not many people actually go and build them. I mean, you don't see the fleet side that often. So that was kind of the the overall thing is it was classic, it was recognizable and it it just worked out. One of the things that I really like about the truck is it's got this old school uh, shop truck vibe. Bob, I'm guessing that was intentional. So that was another thing. I mean, when we were talking hot rod, they were like, oh, we'll throw some vinyl decals on there. Well, uh, a vinyl decal isn't what would have been on it in 58. They would have hand painted it. So that was one of our main points was you guys got to get somebody in here and, and actually hand paint this stuff on there. And it's pretty cool in person. If you actually get up and look at it, you can see the brush strokes of somebody actually painting it, which again, brings back that 
authenticity of 58. You mentioned uh, the Hot Rod Magazine Connection. Hot Rod Power Tour, really sort of the premier long haul event held annually. Fill us in on how well uh, the 58 Apache did on that long haul run. Yeah, so we came, when the truck was done, we took it down to Mecham Indy and we unveiled it. And that was the first time actually anybody at our office had actually seen the truck in person since it was done. Naturally, there's going to be a few bugs to work out. So I actually was driving it around the fairgrounds before I drove the truck back to Chicago. The good news is it only had one or two little twerks that needed to be kind of worked out. The brakes were a little iffy stopped but iffy and then the actually had a misfire but it was only due to the one plug wire being off so that was an easy fix so when the truck got back from Meekum Indy to Sable's headquarters in Chicago the next week we actually went off on the first power tour with it so like you said it's usually seven cities in seven days and this particular year it was down in the southeast corner of the country and the guys over at Hot Rod told us that the true diehard people on the power tour don't use air conditioning so they didn't install air conditioning in the truck but it really wasn't the air conditioning that we were worried about it was more we're in chicago it gets cold here and we wanted heat in the winter (laughs) so that that was more our thing so anyway down the road we ended up putting air and heat into it but the power tour went smooth i mean everything was fine the truck was great we didn't have one issue with it um everybody loved it it was great seeing everybody coming up and looking at it and actually in 2014 we built a camaro and the marketing team that was at stable at the time was more more hesitant to have a bunch of people around the truck so it was more of a garage queen and trailer queen type car whereas this we wanted to be a true driver and we wanted people to get involved and actually come over and look at the truck and if they want to sit in it and take pictures we, we were all for it so on the power tour it was great i mean we had kids taking pictures in the truck and everything else and it was it was it was great speaking of driving what's it like to drive that thing the performance the braking the handling just the overall the overall feeling of being behind the wheel it's honestly like a brand new vehicle i mean you it's it's a step back in time but you still have those classic car little rattles here and there and you open the vent window and you still get the breeze in your hair i mean it's it's a an it's an experience you can't even explain honestly it's it's all the modern amenities that you could want but still in that classic body bob beyond the hot rod power tour and beyond being on display in your booth at all the mecham uh, auctions has your team used the truck in any other ways so since we've had the truck, I mean, I've basically had it out every weekend and every opportunity possible. Like you said, we've had it at many Meekum events. Our CEO actually took it on a vacation trip. It was in a bunch of parades and actually it was the pace car for a couple of Stephen Cox's races on the side and a couple of other great things. So we've definitely gotten our use out of it and we used it as a daily driver and like regular pickup truck, just like we intended to. Looking ahead, Bob, the truck will be at the upcoming uh, indie auction, but this time it's crossing the block. What's the plan? Yeah, so actually our team has become very close with the Curing Kids Cancer Charity, who is also a member of the Mecham Options community, so we wanted to help them out. So this entire past year, we were actually promoting the truck being sold at Mecham Indy in 2020 for the charity, but also at all the events leading up to it, we've been selling shirts and swags and 
some other stuff and it's all been being donated back to Caring Kids Cancer as well. And so far we've raised right around $20,000. Of course, we'll have that stuff available at Mika Mindy this year for you to still purchase, but the truck is going across the blocks, no reserve for Caring Kids Cancer. And we, we hope that it does well for them and raises them some money so they can continue to find cures for childhood cancer. Yeah, good time for a shout out to Curing Kids Cancer. Uh, Grania Owen founded uh, that group in 2005. Mecham has been involved with it for quite a few years now. Over $17 million has been raised by Curing Kids Cancer and about $7 million of that has come from Mecham's participating as well. And uh, what a great organization where all of us that are involved with Mecham in one way or the other, just so much impressed with the sincerity and the effectiveness of what Curing Kids Cancer does. Lots of information at curingkidscancer.org. Donate if you can. Uh, we always do stuff at all Mecham auctions uh, to provide people to take home souvenirs with proceeds going to uh, Curing Kids Cancer. But Bob, you guys are nailing this one. You're hitting it out of the ballpark with your generosity and the flawless execution of this 58 Apache Restomod truck. My guess is you guys are going to miss this thing. Oh, yeah. It's going to be missed for sure, but leaves room in our garage here in Chicago to fill it with something new. So hopefully we can uh, get a new project underway here soon. Well, Bob, thanks so much for stopping by and filling us in, and best of luck with the truck at the auction. No, thank you guys for having me, and looking forward to uh, getting back to Meekum soon. Don't adjust that dial. On the Move, we'll be right back. Our program is proudly presented by Meekum Auctions, the world's largest collector car auctions. Now back to Matt and John. You know, John, there's no denying a growing passion for classic trucks. And to me, there's no mistaking that there's a direct correlation between that and the popularity of trucks with new car shoppers. Uh, no doubt about it, Matt. It'd be interesting to point out that Ram, Ford, and Chevy GMC, all are the top sellers from their manufacturers. And I think what we've seen happen is, is as that, as the truck market continues to grow, it seems to have had a direct impact on the popularity of vintage trucks as well. John, I don't know about you, but I personally love it when I see those two intersect. And one of the recent standout examples that comes to mind are these Chevrolet dealers that in recent years were offering retro-inspired Cheyenne Big Ten packages to modern Silverados. I just thought they knocked it right out of the park. Have you had a chance to see one of these things yet? I have, and uh, they will they will make you think twice. What they've done is is they've integrated a contemporary truck, but they've taken that very distinctive um, two tone paint scheme look from the square body Chevy pickups from the seventies and the nineteen eighties, and they've integrated that. And at first glance, you think you're looking at a vintage truck, and some of them have even gone so far as to add some modern but yet vintage wheels that would have been period correct from the seventies and the nineteen eighties as well to further give you that look of is this an old truck or is this a beautifully restored new truck really doing it pretty well yeah like you said that that generation of silverado with the squared off edges it just it plays so well because you're right there's such a a connection between that generation silverado and and those square trucks of the 70s Uh, it's just a shame that uh silverado had to have a redesign and, and i think some dealers have tried it but it certainly does not work nearly as well with the current generation silverado 
No, I agree with you. And I'm just going to have to say, I think that we are going to see more and more, not only from on the dealership level and the aftermarket level, but also at from the OEMs as well, where they're going to, from time to time, we're going to see them sort of tap into the heritage and the nostalgia of some successful packages in the past. I think there's a lot of potential for some really cool stuff coming out. Now, John, are, are you seeing that play out where you're seeing more and more trucks cross the auction block? I think both markets are driving both markets. Uh, as we've talked about, and as we know, trucks are cool, they're in, they're happening. And that's not going to go very far away in the near future. Um, despite more and more talk about fuel economy and electrification, the manufacturers have all done a really good job of lightening their trucks, making their engines more efficient. And I think electric uh, is going to be part of the future as well, whether it be in hybrid form or whether it be full electric. Uh, we'll keep everybody posted on that as uh, it comes across our radar screen. But in the meantime, uh, trucks continue to be such a huge part of the new vehicle market and the vintage market. And I have to say that I think if you're giving us some thought, one of the reasons why we've seen such a surge in popularity over the past maybe 10 years or so of vintage pickup trucks is because of the availability of components, aftermarket components, sheet metal, um, suspension components, mechanical items, trim items from a variety of different aftermarket manufacturers. I really got to give a tip of the hat to the folks at National Parts Depot. Um, they're, They're the leaders in that. And more and more components are available now. We're specifically talking Chevrolet um, from the 40s right up until the 1990s. Get a hold of those folks, nationalpartsdepot.com. Catalogs are free. Even if you're just thinking about doing a project or you just want to learn more, there's a lot to learn just by flipping through the catalog and looking at the variety of components they make. Again, I think this market owes a lot to the fact that you can now plug and play so much. So much of the stuff is available now that wasn't available in the past. Yeah, it's interesting, John. I was surprised to learn that MPD, specifically Chevy trucks, they offer parts and accessories all the way up until the 1998 model year. Yeah, and you know, you wouldn't think 98, at least in old old guys' car terms, is old or vintage. But the reality is, is a 98 truck is now a pretty old vintage truck. And what we're seeing is... 50s and 60s pickup trucks have elevated their point in value. They're getting a little bit harder to buy because of the demand. Now we're seeing that creep into the square body pickups from Chevrolet and GMC starting in 1973. They're still in that affordable category, but creeping up. So don't be afraid to go into the 1980s and the 1990s for an affordable opportunity to get into a truck. Now, within those square bodies, are there any particular ones that enthusiasts are paying extra attention to? Yeah, the hot ones in that market are obviously anything with four-wheel drive. And that, of course, holds true in the new truck market as well. Whether or not an enthusiast is going to actually use the four-wheel drive for any practical off-road use, that's that, of course, is unknown. A lot of people in the colder weather states where they've got snow like to have the four-wheel drive as a backup for extra traction in the winter, obviously. But yeah, anything with a four-wheel drive is going to just, is going to really raise that price. So, if you're looking to kind of keep it on a budget and you're not going to be driving one of these trucks in inclement weather or taking it off road, save a few bucks, pick up a two wheel drive version, save some money. Well, that's a good tip, John. Good insight there. And uh, with that, we will wrap up today's show. Keep staying healthy out there, my friend. All right. See you at the next podcast. You've been listening to Meekin Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. For more information, visit Meekin.com and sign up to become a Meekum InfoNet member absolutely free. 
and join us again next time as we take you inside the world of muscle and collector cars and more.